Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. Mile Marker Zero. Concord Coast, Texas is a sleepy stretch of Galvin County situated at the extreme edge of the state where the highway dead ends into the Gulf. Sprawled over miles of depreciated coastal property, all but decimated by natural disasters, this once flourishing resort town now consists exclusively of people hoping to remain unnoticed, if not anonymous. It's a place people go to get lost, to blend in or to begin anew. A place where false identities and people a few words make up the population. People on the run and people harboring deep, dark secrets. The following is a small assemblage of those people. Ron Kempler runs the Elijah Honeycutt Heritage House on St. Paul Avenue and is known around town as, at best, the guy with loud vests and kooky pens. Ron is a quiet sort, and like the Honeycutt House, whose heritage status is still pending, has more history than upkeep. Formerly a successful Chinese Ottoman salesman in the Pacific Northwest, with a lucrative sideline gig in the brokerage of silk throw pillows, Ron was shamed off the West Coast following the news of his involvement in an elaborate ring of counterfeit Ottomans. He was given up by his fellow salesmen to save themselves and hopefully not mar their progress in that month's top seller contest, of which the winner received an introductory membership to a mail-order fruit club. Shunned from the cold, cutthroat world of eastern footstool sales, Ron was cast out of society and shoved into the south, where he took a failing crack house in old downtown Concord Coast and turned it into a house of living history. With a smile attributed to a shoddy gas line, Ron designed and decorated the Honeycutt house himself, giving the whole place warmth and a lovely Ming Dynasty motif. He justified the decor with falsified stories of Elijah Honeycutt's love for Chinese culture and forged letters from his presumed travels to China, along with photos of Mr. Honeycutt that graced the house's walls and look an awful lot like Ron Kempler. As do the portraits of Miss Honeycutt and their two children, Finney and Hepsy, a family with the same hereditary trait of hazel eyes and well-defined scruff. Visitors to the house are far and few between, but those that do manage to find themselves standing in the honeycut foyer in front of a staircase of arguable integrity are usually met by the sight of Mr. Kempfler from an adjacent room, eating cream soup straight from the can while in his underwear, which too maintain questionable integrity. Phyllis Parker, born Dolores Williams, spends her days in hiding, serving up authentic, decent East Texas barbecue to Concord Coast's most discreet Philly Smokehouse on Hollywood Road a mile past the turnoff for the casino. Half hunks of juicy barbecue pork, half soggy bun soaked with hot sauce, managed unsuccessfully with an industrial-sized roll of non-perforated janitorial paper towels made of bark and fine glass, 
Phillies is a favorite of any Galvin County resident sporting a bloated belly and decades of cancerous, tattooed skin jerky for arms. A woman of 70-plus years with the waddle and intolerance to prove it, Dolores fled to Texas following the unwelcome advances of a hung, hard-bodied gilf hunter, whose name was a literal smile followed by a wink, whom she met on G-Date, a mobile dating app for geriatrics compatible with most smartphones for seniors and iPhones alike. Dolores's young, muscle-bound admirer lured her in by posing as a sweet, RV-loving, tobacco-toting widower with adorably willful and not-at-all-fictitious grandchildren who helped him set up his profile. Following the shock of their first meeting, Dolores promptly rejected the chiseled, charismatic catfish, who over time became more and more persistent and eventually obsessive. What began as harmless dick pics with salt-and-pepper-dyed pubes developed into excessive weight gain and the surgical appliance of bad knees, as well as the purchase of matching windbreakers and side-by-side -side burial plots in a beautifully sweeping cemetery next to the interstate. He financed a motorhome and creepily cruised by her house in the early hours of the morning, smoking cigars and clearing his throat like a demon was voiding his chest. He obtained a concealed carry permit to keep up with social hysteria and combat aggressively changing fashions by exercising his right to blow away one unarmed solicitor in a reasonable act of self-defense after another. After procuring a new identity and disguise courtesy of the sunglass carousel at Denny's truck stop, which she had corrected on site at the optical shop-in shop between the hot dog roller and the koozie stand, Dolores packed up and left town. She escaped to the coast as Phyllis Parker, where she adopted a modest life of smoking large sides of meat and standing on her feet 14 hours a day next to a jar of pickled pig's feet. Kendall Weaver, now Poppy Lockhart, cleans out the grease traps at the Scrub-a-Dub-Dub car wash on Seagrove, and every Sunday brings joy to the hearts of the East Trinity Baptist Church with her divine lip-syncing belted out from the cover of the competitive corner of the choir. Poppy is a shy Concord Coast resident that rides a two-stroke and always smells of gasoline. She wears floppy boots with floral skirts and can be spotted most days at the beach, taking artistic black-and-white photos of driftwood and clumpy sand and flat light. However, a once-respected Michigan data entry clerk with bookkeeping in her blood, going as far back as the paperwork from the temp agency, Kendall Weaver was destined for accounting greatness and with possible disposable income. Her days on the lam, though, as Poppy Lockhart, a master of stilted conversation, began surprisingly enough after knocking over a series of stationary stores all along the eastern seaboard. After being alerted to a spike in sales during the weeks leading up to Mother's Day and Father's Day, Kendall crunched the numbers and projected a massive end-of-the-year take during the holiday season. She assembled a team of old high school friends in town for a wedding and with nothing to lose, as is usually the case with such attendees. They targeted stores with the most expensive lines and the youngest managers. Musical cards, cards with LED lights, not to mention ribbon and wrapping paper, the score would be life-changing. With each woman executing a specific role, the team hit 12 stores in December of 05 alone, 
before divvying up their haul at a sentimental and significant locale and going their separate ways. Later that month, Miss Poppy Lockhart, new to Concord Coast, moved into a decrepit duplex on holiday and now uses her $1,000 Christine Louvet compact to pick the bugs from her teeth following her daily commute. Waylon Scott, previously Frank Harrington, is a fishing guide at Chuck's Bait and Tackle on Sugarberry, not to be confused with the Chuck's Bait and Tackle five miles down the road, which has three more Yelp reviews. Unlike Waylon Scott, whose background reads anything but glamorous, Frank Harrington was born to a wealthy family of white cable-knit sweaters in Corker, Mass., New York. His father, Alfred Harrington, made his money in musical instruments, brass, never woodwind, a stance held firmly throughout the years and contested heavily by the Philharmonic Association of Piccolo Players. With Silver Spoon in hand, Frank was poised to take over the family business, but when Alfred Harrington took his own life by blowing an E-flat into a cork trumpet for the better part of an hour, the family business was handed over to his younger brother, Henry. Never really seen eye-to-eye eye with his brother's leadership, Frank soon became persona non grata around the office and quickly found himself in the role of a social outcast, following a marathon of unhinged public rants arguing the inferiority of woodwinds. These sidewalk tirades were part of a desperate campaign to win back favor with the family. Still, Frank was kept out of the business's daily dealings and slowly squeezed of his inheritance. He moved to Chicago in the early 1970s, where he took up the flute to spite his family and joined the jazz fusion ensemble, Breaking News. There, he met Buddhist teacher and legendary clarinetist, Monkut Mosley, who introduced Harrington to meditation, religious enlightenment, and most importantly, the bamboo nose flute. Frank became immersed in the Midwest Zen jazz movement of the 1970s. He drank more tea and spoke fewer words than ever before. This newfound centerness brought the disgraced heir peace and harmony, both spiritually and musically, with brass and woodwind coexisting in melodic accord. That was until one night when Frank Harrington stabbed and dismembered Breaking News first horn Herb Allen after a solo E-flat sent him into an apparent fugue state. In court, Harrington's lawyer cited PTSD as the accelerant and claimed their client was not acting of their own accord when they murdered the 50-year-old trumpet player, then wrote the police a 10,000-word scavenger hunt leading them to the body parts with each limb methodically connected to a specific musical note that when played in succession made up the unforgettable Harrington music jingle. After Frank's highly publicized and equally criticized acquittal, he changed his name to Wayland Scott and moved to Concord Coast, where he got the attention of a local boat slip owner after he witnessed Harrington gutting and filleting a 20-pound kingfish with expert precision while quietly humming an E-flat with perfect pitch. Miguel Reyes, also known by the citizens of Aruda Island as President Sigra, dirties his already filthy hands planting residential flower beds for a little off the sides landscaping, run out of a single wide trailer at the end of Willow Lane by the old satellite dish. For 27 years, President Afu Sigra ruled over the archipelago nation of the Taha Islands in the South Pacific. 
He was known to the world as a tyrannical leader that demanded obedience and a nightly shout-out in the prayers of his citizens, which he kept in check thanks to paid informants hiding under people's beds. Afu went big. He ordered the assassinations of political opponents and the torture of those that undermined his rule. He starved his people and controlled the media, taking Gestapo-like measures. Two areas of focus that melded weekly on Friday nights with the primetime broadcast of a Foo's celebrity eating show gobbled up. Airing on both channels, the contest show featured supposed TV personalities and friends of a Foo, judging an eating contest of rotating contestants with funny-sounding names and outlandish personas. Sexy Delivery Person was an Aruda Island fan favorite for six consecutive seasons. This recurring contestant was a half-man, half-woman act of a delivery man and a lonely housewife that over the show's 20-year run went from a hot and heavy affair to a resentful, rage-filled married couple that had nothing nice to say about their apparent better half. Their hilarious squabbles and signature eye rolls consistently sent Afu into an on-air coughing fit, which more often than not resulted in the expelling of semi-digested rice and the occasional presidential toot that everybody but Afu heard. And after years of serving his citizens faithfully as a dictator, Afu Sigra was overthrown by the people of Aruda Island following a large public celebration heightened by limited seating. During the chaos, Afu faked his death and fled to the States with his closest aides under the assumed identity of one Miguel Reyes. Once in Concord Coast, and with their accents almost there, they assimilated into the community by exhibiting a staunch fanaticism for high school football and taking great pleasure in correcting out-of-towners on Tex-Mex. Delmer Hoyt, a.k.a. Sandy Sagebrush, a.k.a. Skip Clemens, a relief pitcher for the Texas Loners whose name is all but lost outside of a 1997 minor league champions t-shirt, is one of the more peculiar individuals to call Concord Coast quote-unquote home. A little guy with big eyes, a grayish complexion, and a vast knowledge of the universe, as well as world events, both ancient and modern, of which he speaks of consistently with a snicker, if not full-blown laughter while exiting a room nonchalantly, not much is known of Delmer Hoyt, other than he's fascinated by cattle and finds great amusement in rectal thermometers. Currently residing inside the remains of the famous Shark Fist Surf Shop, wiped out by Hurricane May, Delmer tells people around town, particularly the more inebriated and less coherent sorts living under the boardwalk, that he escaped a New Mexico government research facility where he claims he was a custodial worker confined against his will after buffering the floor of an unauthorized lab. He made his getaway through the nuclear waste chute and came out the other end not just in the serene popular tourist destination Stoll Lake, but also with his six rows of teeth wider than ever. Since then, Delmer has been evading authorities, especially men in black, by ping-ponging across the country, taking up many jobs under many different aliases. Firstly, there was Helen Adair, director of the Winslow Lane Memorial Amphitheater inside Virginia's Blue Mountain State Park, where Adair mounted her original play, Bear Trap. Loosely based on Adair's personal life, the play followed a 
lonely Parks Department theater director in her comedic, hapless-in-love pursuit to win the heart of a burly, gay forest ranger from California and the star of her new show. Then there was Sandy Sagebrush, who, after receiving a generous loan from a bank she robbed as ex-con Mick, slippery when wet, waits, opened her very own turquoise shop in Fresno. Sadly, after gambling all of her profits on a national ad campaign ruined by a spelling error and resulting in van loads of disappointed tortoise enthusiasts, Sandy hitched a ride across state lines courtesy of a Class A ball team, a sidearm Skip Clements, up from the rookie leagues. Prone to aggressive outbursts, calmed only by pink gumballs and enraged by blue ones, Clemens became Delmer Hoyt, beach bomb after bringing the heat to a make-a-wish child, which ended in hospitalization, a somber opening inning. This has been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scoville. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.